Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero FX. Today we are talking about Batman Under the Red Hood, Batman Death in the Family, the first part. Basically, we're talking about Jason Todd, the Red Hood, the Joker, and one of the most interesting and ethically rich stories in the Batman canon that has been very famous in comic books for some time, brought to life in animation in a couple of movies that we watched and we're going to discuss. All that and more with myself and Paul Hoppy right after this commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I am joined by Don't Get Too Excited. They are still very much not an official co-host, and this may be their last appearance for a while until something interesting occurs to them. Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I was debating how many how many spoilers you had in that intro, but I guess, <laughs> I guess we'll say there will be spoilers forthcoming, and thinking about it more, I'm like, well, it wasn't exactly entirely, you know. Yeah. I mean, the show opens with uh, Joker murdering Jason Todd, and then Batman fights the Red Hood. And then some Well, stuff and I happens. feel like this is a story that's been well told in a number of places. Not in live action yet. Well, right. No, it's actually, that's false. It's been alluded to in live action. No, no, that's false. It was, well, it was told in a live action that very few people have seen, namely Titans. Titans? Okay. Uh, yeah, which did a version of it, which we'll get to. But I, I will say, yeah, for those who don't know what we're talking for those who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Red Hood Batman plot arc that is very good. If you if you don't know what we're talking about, I may suggest hitting pause, go watch on HBO Max, or forgive me now, just Max. Uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. You can also get ba- basically a full summary of it and just Batman reflecting on it in 25 minutes in the first part of Batman Death in the Family. Yeah, it's like the cliff notes. <laughs> the bat yeah, notes. Pretty much. Um, or we will actually just give a quick summary of it as part of talking to you about it today. So let me actually jump in there. Paul, let me ask you, can you summarize what is the Red Hood storyline? Yeah, so... Going all the way back, there's a storyline where the Joker is maybe the head of the Red Hood gang or he's wearing the Red Hood or whatever. And he falls into the vat of chemicals and becomes the Joker after a confrontation with Batman. Right. Right. So fast forward years later, Dick Grayson has been Robin. He's gone off and he's become Nightwing. Jason Todd has become the new Robin. Tim Drake fits in there somewhere, uh, but yep. this is, you know, this is about Jason Todd. He's the new Robin. He and Batman kind of, you know, they don't see everything the same way all the time. He's he's a little more into, like, can't we be a little more violent? You know, um, is this really going to be the – does this way work? Which I think is a legitimate question, mm-hmm. <laughs> judging by how often uh, everyone gets, you know, locked up and then escapes and locked up and escapes and yada, yada, yada. You look at how Gotham – functions um right and so Rachel ghoul is like doing a thing in europe like destabilizing the banks or something you know he's blowing some stuff up he uses the joker as a distraction but the joker captures and murders jason todd and it's like the one time that you know they don't get away mm-hmm. and in the, the original comic storyline they like held a pole an audience pole like does robin die does he escape whatever yeah. you know and then that's like the the backstory, right? And then you fast forward kind of to quote unquote modern day Gotham, or the where most of the story is set. And 
this new villain called the Red Hood, which is clearly not the same Red Hood that the Joker was, but shows up and starts trying to consolidate organized crime, um, bumping off a lot of, you know, the criminals, right? And saying, like, don't sell the kids, but uh, do the rest of your stuff and give me 40% and I'll protect you from people like Black Mask and from Batman, right? So And from me, he's basically And saying. from me, because I'll yeah. kill you if you don't do what I tell you to. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's that kind of, it's like, it's, you know, the protection. Yeah, you, you know, I'm selling you protection from me. But also like Batman and Black Mask are legit, you know, right. other people interfering with their affairs, right? So... Um, you know, Batman confronts him a couple times and eventually comes to realize that it's Jason Todd, who's been brought back from the dead by Rachel Ghoul via Lazarus Pit. And then Red Hood keeps going after Black Mask and Black Mask eventually breaks the Joker out of Arkham. And right. basically the whole plan all along was to antagonize Black Mask to the point where then he's going to recruit the Joker because... The Red Hood actually wanted to get to the Joker and get to Batman and then arrange this like spicy three way at the end where Mm -hmm. basically, you know, they're all fighting. Well, the Joker's basically just tied up and getting beaten with a crowbar in a, you know, there's a lot of kind of this is what you did to me. So now this is what I'm doing to you. This is what you did to them. So now I'm wearing, you know, their get up. And then they're all about specifically the Joker had tortured Jason Todd with a crowbar for a while before finally killing him. Yeah, exactly. And, and clearly had a lot of fun doing so. Um, And the Joker clearly seems to enjoy this whole thing that Jason has set up. Right, where, yeah. you know, they're all about to get blown up and, and Joker's like, I'm the only one who's going to get what he wants tonight. And, you know, then, of course, they don't all get blown up. And, um, you know, he sets up one of those, uh, you know, Punisher versus Daredevil rooftop. You know, either you shoot me or I shoot him. You know, there's no yep. third way out. And then, of course, there's always a third way out because, you know, comics. Yeah. <laughs> and just stories in general, right? I mean, I think right. there's... a. a strong third way trope yeah. going on here. And so the movie ends with we get the sense that Joker has survived even mm-hmm. though we we distinctly see Batman pulling Jason Todd out of the wreckage, but we learn that J- that Bat- that Joker survived. We don't hear anything mm-hmm. about what happened to Jason except a comment about like where is he? And then in kind of a coda to it as I mentioned the movie that came out 10 years later, which is basically an anthology of shorts called Death in the Family, or or is it A Death in the Family? Because those are two different things. No, there's death in, there's A Death in the Family, and there's Death of the Family, which is, I believe I have this straight. There's A Death in the Family, which was a comic storyline. Then there was Mm -hmm. Death of the Family, which was a later comic storyline. Then there's Under the Red Hood... Which then became a movie, and then they made A Death in the Family. It's like there's like a live interactive interactive film somewhere, but the thing they have on Max is actually an anthology where I think they took one of the storylines and right. then they added a bunch of shorts. Um, right. which and are it's called and A think... Death in the Family. Yeah, and so in it, um, and so in it, it's basically Batman telling the story to someone. And for well, sorry, it's Bruce Wayne telling the story to someone of what happened. And for a while, we don't know what who they're telling it to. 
and basically recounting the whole thing and doing a lot of introspection about his role in recruiting the the Robins and but also perhaps not not protecting them enough and all his complicated feelings about that and all his complicated feelings about what happened to Jason Todd and the responsibility and blame he feels for that. And at the end of it, um, what he says is that, you know, we, they know that Jason Todd lived, but that they don't know where he is. Uh, and then, of course, it's also revealed that it's Clark Kent that he's talking to. And it's this really beautiful moment of the two of them, like, both admitting that they have contingency plans to defeat the other. Right. But also kind of showing that they have a real respect for each other. Yeah. And I'll just say, so this is the version of it that we're talking about. And we're mostly going to be talking about this specific version of it. But this is a – there are kind of like some key moments in the Batman mythos that have been told over and over and over again. And every time it's told, some details are kept the same and some are kept different. And, you know, so uh, Dick Grayson's parents dying is one of them. Batman's parents dying obviously is another one. This is not quite at that level of popularity. As I said, it's never appeared in a movie. But I think it is becoming pretty well known, and it has appeared, as you said, in a number of different places. Uh, Batman the Animated Series into Justice League had a version of this story. Uh, this obviously has a version of the story. The comics have it well known. Uh, Titans has it well known. Um, uh, and I think it's also – and it's obviously appeared in a lot of comic books and other things like that. And my understanding is kind of the key points to it are always – it's Jason Todd. It's distinctly not Dick Grayson. It's that, as you said, Jason Todd wants to be more violent. He doesn't necessarily want to kill, although sometimes he does want to kill. But he certainly in, he enjoys the violence in a way Batman thinks he shouldn't. That he and Batman have real disagreements. That Jason gets himself into danger and, and caught by the Joker in ways that are, depending on that Jason often thinks it is Batman's fault... Whether that is or not, or whether it's something he Batman told him not to do, varies with the telling, but certainly Batman feels some guilt about it. The Joker tortures him, the Joker kills him, and then he comes back as... Well, in some versions, actually, Joker doesn't fully kill him, he just brainwashes him, mm. and it's kind of the, like, you know... It, it's sort of a, a version of the killing joke, and if you know anybody is one good, one bad day away from turning, their Jason Todd does. In other versions, it's the Lazarus Pit or something else that brings him back, but like brings out his worst aspects or whatever it is, and that he then goes on to try and consolidate crime and to fight Batman, and Batman is eventually placed in the situation where basically like the only thing he can do is to fight Jason, and and some horrible thing is going to happen, and of course Batman figures a way to to save it. Yeah, and I haven't seen all of them, and there's um, there's definitely a another storyline where something similar happens to Tim Drake, right? But that's that's a separate story that really kind of only appears in that one place, and uh, we've talked about it before. I don't really want to talk about it right now because hopefully yep. people will just see it, and it's just really good. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that's a a, a good yeah. you know general summary of. So why do you, why do you think this story resonates so much? Why is it a story that people who love Batman keep telling again and again, and the people who love watching Batman are really drawn and reading Batman are really drawn to? I mean, I think it kind of gets to some of the central questions of like you know if mm -hmm. you're going to step outside the law and try and 
like I'd like to have a better word than criminals, but that's yeah. what that's what they use. So we can just go with it for now. But you know, basically, if if you're gonna step outside the law and try and stop people who, I guess, people who are doing things that you think are harmful, right? You know what what measures are you willing to take? You know, and there's there's a question of like. You know what's what's right, what's wrong, but also kind of what do you trust yourself with, right? right? You know, like I mean, I loved the series Dexter for some number of series seasons that don't include the last <laughs> one, um, <laughs> and you know, it's about a guy who goes around killing people who are doing harm to other people, and right. he's doing that because he likes to kill people, and his dad was like, "Hey, if you're gonna kill people anyway." You know, you might as well kill people who maybe that's going to make the world a little better. And, you know, you're less likely to get caught because people aren't going to miss them so much. Right. Right. People aren't going to be like, oh, we have to avenge the death of this, you know, serial pedophile, you know, mm -hmm. killer or whatever. And not to nitpick, but I think it's an important uh, clarification. It's not even that he likes killing. It's that he has a, a compulsion to do it. Sure. Yeah. Extreme trauma that he had when he was a kid. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a definitely a, a le- um, unnecessary specification. I agree. Yeah. And you know that doesn't mean that he necessarily literally has to do it, but that right. he has he has, you know, psychological issues basically that right yeah. that that um, he feels compelled to do that. And, you know, by the end of it, spoilers, you know, he's not necessarily only killing people who are doing a lot of harm. Right. Right. Um, And so I think, broadly speaking, I I mean, I have a question like, can you really trust anyone to make those judgments? I certainly don't trust the government to, you know, I mean, we we recently did Gross Point Blank and talking about sometimes there's due process, sometimes there's not. But like, even if there is due process, like I'm still against it, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, but in terms of a practical sense, you know, they're fighting people who are brandishing guns at them. And that gets to a different point. Like, what level of violence are you prepared to use when you're trying to stop someone from doing something harmful overall, but also like they're literally trying to kill you right now, you know, right. what what sort of level of violence is acceptable or do you find acceptable there? You know, and and here I think one of the reasons um, that I think this resonates with a lot of people is that um, instead of showing Batman as this Maybe maybe a Batman that I actually prefer um, as mm-hmm. this like, you know, angry, but not like not filled with the spirit of vengeance, not filled with like, right. I want to kill these people. I want to hurt these people, but I won't let myself, you know, I, I have more of a view of like the Batman that I prefer is is more like that's not what I want to do. I really do just want to stop them. This Batman is very much, he's like, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about killing the Joker, you know? Right. And and they show, like, he, he um, like, wants to just, like, just crush his throat. And, and he's like, he says to Jason, basically, hey, if I do that, I don't think I'm coming back, you know? Yeah. Like, I think, you know, if I'm like, yeah, well, I can kill the Joker, right? It's the Joker. He killed Jason. And mm-hmm. he's like... But then, you know, what about Riddler? Riddler, yeah, maybe maybe I should kill Riddler. I mean, just these just these two, you know? Right. Because as you said with Dexter, what happens, and I think this is, history is rife with this. 
most of the people who we think of as like the most horrible people in the world, like in their minds, they are doing harm to the people they think are doing harm. Right. And and often, I mean, and and you know, when it starts with just like I want to harm the Jews because I think the Jews are terrible, like that that is obviously even just starting from a horrible place. But sometimes it's you know, yeah, I think criminals are doing terrible things, and I want to harm them. Well, I think there's some socioeconomic analysis that's really needed there about why you're beating up poor people, etc. Sure. But like, where it can also then go is even if you start with the idea of. I am going to harm this person because I know that this person is doing terrible things. Okay, but now there are these three henchmen in the way. Right. So I have to do harm to their hench- henchmen. And, excuse me, now there's this like rent a cop security guard at the bank and I have to do harm to that person. Mm-hmm. And, well, wait, but if someone knows that I'm the one doing this, they'll stop me. So I now have to do harm to the lady who was just an innocent bystander who saw me. Like, And, and I think that kind of snowballing is definitely a thing. Yeah. One thing I think that, that makes this particularly interesting is, and, and there's actually a whole other level to why I, I find the story so fascinating that we'll get to, but let's just start with this, because the, the idea of the Jason questioning Batman's methods, I think that there are fundamentally two different like branches that this question gets into that are very linked, but I think it's important to separate. And I'm curious if you see it the same way. One is... Do you allow yourself to enjoy the violence you are inflicting and thus how much or how little are you holding back on the – you know, are you pulling your punches when you need to? Are you just not using exactly the force or are you trying to not do even worse? And like there's a, a pivotal scene where Jason doesn't kill someone. He shatters their collarbone and Batman gets very angry at him. Um, and I, I question that given the normal rants we've given about – uh, you know, things Batman and Daredevil and people like that do and the de- bodily damage they do, but even putting that aside. But then I think there's a separate related question, which is the idea of a deterrent, which is if your goal is to not only stop the evil thing or the, the bad thing that a person's doing right now, but to prevent them from doing bad things in the future, well, hopefully the the society has a system into which you can put them that will take care of them. Our society kind of sort of does, but it's a really, really bad one and really inhumane and really horrible and doesn't use, you know, restoration and restorative justice in any way. The Gotham one is even worse because not only does it just lock people up, but it's really, really bad at locking people up. (laughs) And so I think Jason is raising like there's definitely that question of like, can you enjoy it? How much violence can you do? But also this question of if we know with fairly high degree of certainty that if we just put Joker into Arkham, he will get free and thus hurt people and kill people again. If in this world, the literal only way to stop him doing that is to kill him, then we should should we kill him? And I, I, I very much, uh, I, I, like you, I'm not in favor of that argument, but I think it's important to kind of, do, do you see what I mean about separating those two arguments a bit? Yeah, and I, I mean, I almost feel like uh, you got into a third one at the end, but, mm. you know, the, I mean, to, I, or I guess maybe you didn't get into the one that I thought you were going to get into at the beginning, which is like, you know, the, the sort of breaking the collarbone and like, is that, you know, is that too much? And right. Um, yeah, I do think, you know, in, in Arrow, right. They like Arrow, like makes this like, you know, 
black site prison, right? Like on the islands mm-hmm. that he was, you know, and like he's basically like, yeah, I'm going to store all these, you know, super yeah. villains here. And I mean, if you're Batman and you have a bat cave, maybe you should just kidnap Joker, you know, mm-hmm. like put him in your cave, serve him three squares a day and like, you know, maybe talk to him here and there. Like, but like. Arkham does not seem like a good solution. I think that's right. right. And I I think a lot of times when stories set this up in such a way where they're just like, oh, the only solutions are Arkham or murder. And it's like, well, no, you know, it's like in, in, in our world, it's like the only solutions aren't necessarily either you incarcerate someone in the ridiculous U.S. prison system or you kill them like right you know th- there there are other things you can do and it's like you know whether the story is interested in investigating those and whether people are investigating those in in our world that's a question right. but um i you know i'm a strong i i mean i'm a i'm a believer in the third way like n- yeah. not that there's always a good answer not that there's always you know um a better way but that very rarely are we presented with a true you know a or b binary decision where it's like you can either do this or you can do that it's multiple choice no that's not how reality functions you can try and think of new and you know more effective ways and then you can try them and maybe they work maybe they don't but like you know and and this is this is a tangent but but it's related in some ways kind of related to everything we do because i'm going to say a word in defense of trolley problems because I agree with you that in real life, it is never that simple. I think, and I think it's important to remember that a trolley problem, which is, I think, exactly what you're talking about. It's where you set up a, it's either A or B, both have negative consequences, which do you choose? I think that is useful as a psych, as a philosophical exercise to help people think more about their values and how they see things and and how they do or don't value things. Mm-hmm. I think the danger is that we then think that means that things in real life are actual trolley problems and that a lot of our media says, look, here's a trolley problem. And in the reality, the hero almost always, you know, comes up with a third way. Yeah, finds a way to and, derail and I, the trolley or something. Yeah, exactly. And that, that used to frustrate me, but I actually think, no, it's actually a good thing because because that's the point is that in real life, because it's also not only that there's often a third way, but there's also often so much more context, you know. And there's a there's actually a board game called Trolley Problem, which I really enjoy, <laughs> because part of what you do is like each team puts cards on the other one's tracks to try to convince the operator to go down one or the other. But the idea is that you start out with it's just like you know, um, you know, uh, Florence Nightingale or the guy who invented uh, pop-up ads on the internet. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that one's easy. And then you're like, okay, but the guy who invented pop-up ads is also going to cure cancer one day. And Florence Nightingale is, you know, doing horrible things with 10-year-olds. Like, it, it, whatever it is, the idea is that you just keep adding more and more context. Uh, the game is very silly, and this is kind of a silly tangent. <laughs> but my, my base point just being that I think there is value to the psychological exercise of philosophical exercise of trying to, you know, ask yourself what choices people would make in those kind of situations, but then also, yeah, understanding that, as you were just saying, 
real life is never that simple. It's never going to just be a binary. And even those two options are always going to be much more complex. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not sold on the utility mm-hmm. of of that framework. But yeah, um, I do, I do feel like if, I don't know, it's the sort of thing where it's like, all right, if you're going to go with this thought experiment and then you're going to be like, oh, that's the bell, that's all for today, and then you're just going to do something else ne- next week, I think that's like potentially pretty harmful, mm-hmm. you know, whereas like if you're actually going to talk about everything you were talking about, about how, yeah, there always is context, right? Things aren't ever right. actually that simple. Like we are using this, like we're using this as a hypothetical with a deep understanding of the fact that it is a hypothetical and that things are never actually this simple, right? Yes, exactly. Then like I could potentially be persuaded. I certainly don't yeah. feel like that's necessarily that bad. Whether I think it's necessarily that helpful, I'm not sure, but you know, you know, cool, yeah. whatever. Do it the way you want to do it, you know. Um, Again, for us mere mortals. Sure, sure. For, <laughs> for, I will deign to allow it for, for, for mortals. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think um, it's interesting how often, you know, various media do portray these sorts of things and then right. say – but there is actually a third way. And like maybe there's as, – as sort of contrived as these things always feel to me, mm-hmm. maybe that's actually kind of its own lesson. And I do appreciate that lesson of like, yeah. you know, yeah, you don't – when somebody faces you with a choice of A or B, you you can sometimes say no, right? No, I really like what you're saying there. And I, I think you're right. That's something I certainly have not thought of before. But, but I, I've been thinking about it even before I started speaking that – because to me, I think when you look at someone like Joker or Jason Todd or Joker in the Dark Knight or, you know, Green Goblin, a villain will come along to make a hero make a terrible choice. But all this is one of the things that's motivating them is unfortunately uh, a limited imagination. You know, Punisher has decided yeah. that there is no hope. Right. The, the, the criminal justice system, you cannot have a society that has a criminal justice system that works in any way. And so therefore, we have to just kind of accept you have to let me kill these people because that's the only way. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's exactly what the death penalty is. The death penalty is yeah. an abandonment of hope. It's a we don't think you know, and, and it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, because it's like, look, we are going to build a prison system that gives people the least possible chance to be rehabilitated and then say, oh, look, they weren't rehabilitated, so all we should do is kill them. Right. And in Gotham, it's even worse, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, I do like that idea of the third thing, third way. The, shifting, though, though, to the violence question. I just because, want to agree with that. I think I, I really okay. like what you said in response as well. I'm, I'm on board with all that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, shifting back, though, to the first part of the Jason Todd thing, and then I want to get into my, my wholly other different reason why I think the story is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this question of the enjoyment of. Well, first of all, I just want to make the brief editorial comment that I, you and I have already talked about the idea that, like, 
there, there is violence that is very specifically intended to be lethal, like firing a gun at someone, stabbing them in the heart. Right. But then any kind of violence has the potential to be lethal, you know? Yeah. Um, we were, I was just reminded because they, the, the medical staff won an award. There was a football player uh, uh, who came very close to dying just because yeah. he got hit hard in the chest at the exact wrong moment in his, you know, uh, heartbeat rhythm. Mm-hmm. And he almost died. Yeah. And the statistical possibility that no one has died from Daredevil or Batman hitting them in the head with metal objects on a frequent basis or any of that stuff. But you heard us talk about that a million sure, times. Sure, yeah, yeah. So the idea that he's even just saying, like, no, no, I pull my punches enough that I'm not going to even break their collarbone is – I get well, what the I get what the writers meant by that. I think that was a really bad way to write it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to largely co-sign that. I will say, like, you can choose your targets, you know, mm-hmm. and it, like – I'm not saying no Batman is going around hitting people in the collarbone all the time. But, like, that's a – I'm pretty sure I broke someone's collarbone one time and, like, yeah. you know, it – it's a specific place that you hit someone, you know. I that that wasn't what I was trying to do, um, right? But like, you know, it, it's it, this was in the context of martial arts of a, a tournament, right. you know, where I think I I ended up losing a fight like thirteen to two, but the other person basically like couldn't proceed from there because there are certain, you know, and like like you could say that's ir- irresponsible, you know, and I don't think that would right. be too far off, but like there there are places you can hit people that are likely to that are more likely to incapacitate them take the wind out of them knock them down you know or cause like some kind of lower level of damage and there's other places that are that are more vital you know that if i'm fighting someone with a gun i gotta say like first of all generally like don't fight people with guns if somebody comes up to me with a gun i'm like yeah what do you want you know yeah (laughs) i'm not happy about it but sure here's my stuff go far away and uh you know best of luck yeah. Um, but like if somebody's brandishing a gun at you and shooting it at you and, or at me and like, I'm trying to defend myself against that, I'll be honest, I'm probably not going to show as much restraint as like Batman does or wants Jason Todd to. Right. Right. Having said that, that's what they do. They've put themselves in that situation. That situation didn't come to them, right? Right. You know, then again, like, you know, Batman's putting a kid in the field, or then now I think he's a teenager. It's like, yeah, you know, you. it's... I agree that that scene could have been written better. I think mostly if he, like, broke his jaw. Because mm-hmm. what they did is they, they he wasn't like, oh, this is clearly bad because... Um, you hurt him too much, right? He was like, this yeah. is bad because now we needed him to talk and he went into shock, you know? Right. And I'm not 100% certain whether the story is saying that Batman's definitely right there and Jason's definitely wrong there. Mm-hmm. Or if the story is yeah. maybe saying like, hey, this is, this is a good question and you can kind of think about it yourself. I right. prefer to think of it the second way, you know? Yeah. And, I, but I think they kind of, it was like a cake and have it too situation. Right. You know? Well, and I think that's where also it becomes important. I'm going to separate these two things, but then say that they're also very linked. Mm-hmm. Kind of to separate the moral or ethical philosophical argument from the strategic one. Right. You know, and that's kind of the same thing of like, if you have an alternative that isn't the death penalty, then there's a very good debate to be had, although I think it's a pretty simple debate, frankly, of do you use that deterrent or do you kill them? 
But if if you literally have no other deterrent, if they're always going to escape, then yeah, then there is at least a strategic idea of of using the death penalty. I'm still against it, but I get that. Sure. And I think he, yeah, I, to me, the oh, but now we he's gone into shock. We can't talk to him. Argument. It kind of falls flat because the whole rest of the discussion is about him enjoying it. You know, and Jason right. says, but he deserves it and stuff like that. And so I kind of. I guess what I can kind of do here, because also it's more relevant to the other stories as well, is kind of say, all right, so putting aside the specific way this one's written, yeah, what's your take on this idea of that that Jason's problem is that he's enjoying it too much? I mean, I think it's dangerous. I think it's the Mm -hmm. sort of thing that either you can control or you can't. Um, I mean, I'll I'll tell you another Taekwondo story. I um, went to see Revenge of the Sith when it came out. With some Taekwondo friends. Right. And one of them was talking about relating to Anakin. Mm -hmm. And the sort of like, you know, seeing, like thinking about like using violence for like good reasons, but like kind of how that can be this dark path. And, um, you know, and kind of contemplating like, well, what level of violence? You know, and this is person who's... I mean, at the time was a good friend of mine and we didn't have a falling out. We've just, you know, grown apart because we don't have Mm -hmm. that shared interest at the moment. Um, But like who also, you know, did serious harm to another good friend of mine, you know, I mean, who I'd known much longer and um, and was closer to whatever. The point being that, like, you know, I've seen this kind of like. You know, to quote Martin Blank, and eventually you get to like it. And like, it's, that doesn't mean you're necessarily always going to like it. And if you really cause serious harm, like, I think it, there's, I mean, I've had regretful kind of feelings about even, you know, causing significant injury to someone who like, maybe, I mean, someone who wasn't, didn't seem like the best dude, you know, had done Mm -hmm. several things that I thought were kind of harmful and Um, and still afterwards, like, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like this, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, like a bunch of people like, oh, that was so cool. You you know? And it's like, in just in the context of martial arts, it's like, it was like really cool. It was like, you know, it's like, he's doing a back kick and I slipped it. And then I kicked him in the face with just the flat of my foot across his whole face. And it's like that moment of like, just landing like a really solid shot is like very satisfying. You know, but then seeing just like blood pouring out of their nose and like they're just like done for the day. It's like I had this very opposite feeling, you know. Yeah. And not everybody has that, though. And so I would say, Mm -hmm. like, if you don't have that contrary feeling at the same time, I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, and and And, so well documented that the reason why. It's eight million reasons why, but one of the big reasons why people are able to be so cruel to each other on the internet is you never see that, you know? Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. even if you're bullying someone in school or something, you see their face fall. Right. And, like, some part of that registers, and mostly you ignore it because you're 14 and an idiot. Um, But, like, yeah, you hurt, you say something visibly hurtful to someone, even if you don't like it, like, you're always off in a little party. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so where do you think... Where do you think Batman is on that? How do you think Batman feels about... And granted, he's a character who has been... His stories have been told for 85 years by now. Yeah. Um, so there's 8 million different versions of it. But how, how do you kind of understand the struggle he's going through? So I would say that in this particular 
story, in this mm-hmm. particular rendering of this particular story, I think he's a little closer to the Matt Murdock, you know, daredevil, kind of let the devil out, sort of. Right. You know, um, of like, there is a part of him that is still very angry and still takes some pleasure in 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 the right. harm to people that he thinks maybe less about deserve it but but kind of maybe maybe do deserve it. maybe that is kind of how he's looking at it yeah. you know um i think that's probably partially a reflection of the writer or writers mm-hmm. and i think there are other batman stories where i don't feel that's the case i certainly yeah. don't feel that particularly in the animated series. I don't feel at all in the Justice League series, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of this, like, in those, he feels very pragmatic and very, yep. you know, I'm going to do what I need to do to make the world the way I want it to be. And there's this kind of level of detachment that I feel mm-hmm. like my favorite Batmans have achieved, you yeah. know? And, um, you know, I think when we... I think it was when we talked about the Dark Knight, you know, and and maybe Batman begins, but, um, you know, I think you were talking about the kind of the anger, you know, and the, mm-hmm. um, and that aspect. And I was saying that I didn't particularly feel that. Um, I think that's very much me projecting onto that. And I think perhaps yeah. that's you projecting onto that. I don't know. I don't want to say that that is, but no, I mean, go ahead. I was going to say like, I mean, the idea that like, some emotional assessment of another person doesn't involve any degree of projection is kind of silly. I mean, sure, like it's right, how exactly. We see the world. So, yeah. I mean, we're we're always seeing three things through our own lens, right? That's right. that's the only lens we have. We can listen to how other people see them and then gain a portion of that perspective, but we can't live that perspective, right? We can only right. live through our own lives and and see through our own eyes, really, and so, um, or metaphorically, um, yeah. So I I, I feel like. I don't know where each Batman lands on kind of that spectrum of I enjoy this, but I'm not doing it because I'm enjoying it. I'm almost doing it in spite of the fact that I enjoy it because I don't want to be doing it because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because I think it needs to be done and thus I'm holding myself back or the kind of, you know, the Batman who started in that place and then worked through it. And is now this kind of, um, I, I would say, kind of more fully realized, kind of like mm-hmm. in charge of himself and his emotion. Yeah. Like has acknowledged all the emotions and then let them go kind of, right? Because yeah. it's like, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say like push them away, right? Because I think that's mm-hmm. very unhealthy. And some Batmans yeah. are, are very unhealthy, you know? But yeah. I think I think it's up to... Somewhat up to the audience to interpret it and definitely up to the, the writers and yeah. the actors to, to kind of decide what they're going for. So I, I think I'm similar to you, if a little different. And, and part of why I want to have this discussion is I think it really is going it, it, to really inform the next question that I want to ask, which is specifically like, how do we feel about Batman recruiting children to help him? Sure. Um, because a lot of it is him feeling like he's helping those kids with the same struggle. Mm-hmm. So just kind of bookmarking that for the future. Yeah. And, and I will name from the beginning that the way I – my lens for this because it, it clearly affects this, although it's one that I've studied objectively as well as feelings subjectively. I'm a person who has compulsions. I'm a person who has an addictive behavior. 
I have never had a chemical addiction of any kind, although I am the descendant of someone who does. Um, but I certainly have had addictive behavior and I have had compulsive behavior. And a lot of what I have studied and a lot of what I found in, in myself and in like the stuff that I've studied, especially in terms of like reading a lot about alcoholism, because that was what my, my family had and other things mm-hmm. like that, but also in terms of other kind of, you know, again, non-chemically based things, is that in many ways, like the, the having a goal of the compulsion goes away or the, the desire for it mm-hmm. is basically unobtainable. Mm. What is obtainable is two things. One is that you can... And, and really the healthiest part of it is you can look to what are the emotional needs or the emotional unprocessed trauma or whatever it is that's making you want to do those things and deal with that. So for in my case, for example, like I was definitely, you know, like addicted to seeking out people to date or to flirt with or to get validation from. And that came from a lot of self-esteem issues that, I, that I've definitely been able to work through. But also that there's a sense of just, as you were kind of saying, as you get to more and more of a sense of peace, you know, as you were kind of talking about like this fully realized, actualized version of Batman, I was thinking about things I've read by people who have been, you know, alcoholics, but have been sober for 30, 40 years. And they'll say that like, yeah, they still get the urge to have a drink. But in in some persons said it's like, you know, kind of the urge that I have to go be an NBA basketball star. I know <laughs> right. it's not realistic in any way, shape or form. Yeah. It's still there. And I think if I gave into it, it would come back with a vengeance real fast. Mm-hmm. But it's by now very easy for me to ignore. Right. So with all that as context, I kind of see Batman in that regard, that I think of him as someone who it, in a lot of ways, I think of Batman as a much healthier version of Dexter. Hmm. And. You can yeah. say in part that's because of different writers, but also because like Dexter has what happened to him happen at two and in a far more bloody and gruesome way yeah. than happens to young Bruce Wayne. But the idea being, and here I'm kind of quoting the people from DC on Screen podcast, Jason and uh, not Jason and Todd, David <laughs> Jason and, and Jason. Todd. That would be an amazing pair of names, right? For, right? Yeah, if anyone is out there named Jason and Todd, please tell me and your friends. Please do a Batman podcast. Yeah. Or no, a podcast specifically on the Robins. Get get someone named Robin, actually. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the point being, I think this horrible thing happens to him. Oh, yeah, sorry. So what they were saying on that podcast, DC on screen, is that with most superheroes, like, he is Clark Kent and he becomes Superman. But that with Batman, he is Batman and Bruce Wayne is his alter, is his disguise. And, and kind of the idea being that, like, because a fundamental part of him not just wants to be Batman, but needs to be Batman. Needs to do some, be personally involved in the effort to not let what happened to him happen to other people. Now, even just saying that is that that is a much healthier version of I want to go punish the people who do those things. And I think they're linked, but I think again that kind of like healthy self actualization can help turn it in, the, in that other direction. But yeah, to me, he strikes me as someone who is, over the course of the stories, he learns to control it more and more. And and is it, and, and that's, I think, a lot of part of what he's trying to do with Jason, is trying to be like, if you know, if you give in to that anger, if you let it be motivated out of anger, and here I'm also projecting as someone who loves Star Wars, because this is very mm-hmm. much a, right. a dark Once side Once you start story. down that dark path. 
Exactly. I mean, and that's exact. That's that's the Huntress character. That's Phantasm character. That's a lot of these characters who are kind of when they're set up as a foil to Batman because they're kind of Batman, but even darker. Mm-hmm. In the, like to me, the discussions between Batman and, and the Phantasm, it's the exact same as the Punisher and Daredevil. Yeah. You know, it's that yeah. it's that one more person who's doing that. Where all this is going is, I want to pose a hypothetical and see if you feel it the same way I do, which is that. I think for a lot of Batman's career, not by the point he reaches that complete total self-actualization, uh, you know, that I think he does have, as you said, in Batman the Animated Series and, and the Justice League shows that come after it. But I think a lot of versions of Batman, they have that level of control. But it occurs to me that I have never seen him in a situation where he comes upon a young boy or a young child screaming because his parents have just been murdered and the murderer is right there. Mm. Because, and I say that because there's a part of me that thinks that that would sort of be the hardest test for Batman. You're to see so clearly and so viscerally what happened to him. And granted, he does, that's very much what happens to all the Robins and, and that's kind of where he comes upon them. But to me, I think that's the... And I think he would. I think he would still pass that test most of the time, but I think that's the, that 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 to me is kind of the the apex of what I'm getting at. Of that sort of like I do think that Batman still has that. Like there is a part of him that likes it a little bit, but he he makes sure not to let that out because uh, I'm rambling a bit. But here's the one other point that I wanted to put on is to me I think an essential part of this it's the safety valve. It's the you know kind of like and the. the and again, getting away from chemical dependencies, but even there, there's a lot of research that shows that the, like the quit cold turkey model doesn't actually work, and that there's some extent of like you know can you have a much more controlled, regulated use of a thing, maybe not a chemical thing, but like a thing that you're addicted to or you have compulsions to, instead of trying to quit cold turkey. And to me, there's that, there's some of that like when he goes out as Batman. It's letting out the steam. It's letting out because if it mm. builds up and builds up and builds up, and he isn't Batman for a long time, then yeah, maybe he is gonna just snap or you know go do something that he doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, so first of all, I th- I think the quick cold turkey does work for some people sometimes. It definitely, right? It definitely but it's, does. It definitely is not a universal. This is a way yeah. that will definitely work for everybody. Right. The twelve step model has a much higher you know failure rate than people often like to talk about. Right, right. But it absolutely does work for some yeah. people. Yeah. I mean I know people you know in seventeen years or whatever and it's yeah. like, you know, it it's worked for them. And then other people it's like, you know, in and out and try this, try that yeah. and, and nothing has. So or something else has, right? I mean, yeah, right. for some people it, it is like, you know, a little bit of something is functional, you know, personally, yeah. like I also have a, I don't know if I, I, I used to say kind of addictive, but like, I think just kind of extremist, <laughs> like, I'm just like, this is either something I want to do a lot of, or I'm not going to do it. You know, it's like, I've, yeah. I've always had a hard time being like, this is a thing that I'm, I'm going to just do a little of. It's like, that's yeah. never been a thing. That's just all that interesting to me most of the time. Um, I'm experimenting with it with podcasting now, but <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, but like, yeah, I, and for that reason, I was just like, no, I'm not going to do any of those drugs because, yeah. you know, I, I understand that many are physically addictive. Others are, are habit forming in ways that maybe don't have the same mm-hmm. chemical dependency, but like, I'm just like, I know I, you know, I mean, I, I remember when a friend of mine tried coke for the first time and was like well you know probably i'll just do it once and whatever i'm like 
Yeah, but like, what's the upside? Like, what are you hoping for? You know, yeah. like, what's the best outcome? Like, you don't like it? Or like, and, and I don't mean this as like a moral judgment or whatever, but it's just like, you know, it's expensive and harmful to your body. And so it's like, right. you know, if that's what you're into, that's what you're into. But like, in terms of like getting into it, it's just like, strategically, I'm just like, what's, what's yeah. the plan? You know? And it's like, well, I, let me give a more specific example of a place where, and you can argue whether the word addiction fits here or not, or a compulsion or whatever. But I am someone who's always had eating problems. Mm-hmm. And I have a very slow metabolism. I don't really know what it feels like to be hungry. I mostly eat because I want self-gratification. I want right. a physical sensation that will take me out of my brain. I want to reward myself. I want validation. All sorts of physical things. Mm-hmm. And often like eating like, you know, foods that are quote unquote bad for me. You know, like, and, and I should just say quickly here, this is not a diet culture rant. Diet culture is bullshit. People are beautiful in all body sizes and shapes. Don't ever feel like you got to be pressured to that. I'm just talking about I felt like my eating was out of con- – I wasn't in control of what I was eating and right. I didn't like that feeling. And it was having negative physical effects on me primarily because of my disability. So quick disclaimer there. With that being said, what I would find is that I would eat foods that were not the best for me without really being fully conscious of it or without really wanting to. Mm-hmm. And I've attempted to quit cold turkey many times and it never, ever works. But I have found that if I let myself say one day a week, I'm going to have something like that in a moderate proportion, then if it's Tuesday and I really want that thing, I can tell myself, you know what, you're going to get it in three days Mm -hmm. and that's going to be okay. And that when I have it, I can say, you know what, I only need a couple pieces of the, of the, the you know, fried, fried tofu or, you know, whatever it is or the candy or whatever it is because I can always have it another day. Yes, I was going to say something like fried chicken. I then default. I, to I, tofu, I'm just like, which, oh, fried tofu is used as an example as the treat. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that was not. That was a weird, like, hip fake towards trying to respect the vegan. Uh, that's not how I meant it. Um, but yeah, and like, and so for me, and again, I'm sure all of you have suggestions on the better way to deal with my uh, eating issues. This is 100% not an invitation for that. Uh, <laughs> yes, please, please no feedback please on that don't. regard. I just want to use it as an example of if I leave myself that little steam release, it works. And so right. I feel like in that same kind of a way, if Batman can tell himself, like, I'm not going to go kill this person. I'm not going to give in to that part of me that wants what Dexter wants. Right. But yeah, I am going to go punch a bad guy, and it's I'm going to tell myself all the ways in which this is restrained. I'm not going to say my, but but it feeds some part of me that has been there ever since I watched my parents got murdered. Mm-hmm. It, it it makes sense for him. Yeah, I mean, with the addendum that it's not. Oh well, on Friday night I'll go out and punch bad guys. It's every night, yeah. you know. It's yeah. every night, <laughs> all night. Like except when he has to pretend to be Bruce Wayne or pretend right. to be the Bruce Wayne that's a mask, you know. Um, so I, I I hear what you're saying, and I think that's a very interesting perspective and a completely valid interpretation, you know. Yeah. And um, you know I. I wouldn't necessarily say that I've come around to share that interpretation, but I I think that, you know, I mean, like you said, it's a character with 85-year history. Like, some of the yeah. versions are definitely that, you know, and some of them are, yeah. are, are definitely definitely less that, I'd say. Um, but, yeah, it's and a really, many of them are written, really interesting. Like, 
everything I've said is based on our current understanding psychologically of compulsions and addictions and right. trauma right. that we didn't have for most of history. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and some of which is probably quite wrong and and will there will be yeah. a, you know, more uh, more nuanced or more effective understanding in 10, 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. Who knows? You know? Yeah. Or two. I mean, even with Batman, that is both one of, I think at times frustrating when it's just used as a throwaway attack on him, but also potentially really interesting questions is the, now that we know what we know today, okay, what if Alfred had said, maybe instead of kickboxing, I'm going to take you to trauma therapy? You right, know, right. like, would that have helped in some way? And I think those are interesting questions or, you know, like um, we, we, the movie, the in superhero ethics, we did an episode about, you know, uh, in gross point blank where Martin is in therapy. Like it's not the same thing, but I think Bruce talking out his feelings to Clark Kent is a level of self-reflection and of seeking outside, you know, response to that reflection that I don't think we would have seen, you know, in the 50s, the 70s, the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, and, you know, it's it's like the end of Iron Man 3 also, right? Right. Where it's like, it's it's therapy, but it's not therapy. It's like, I'm not yeah. that kind of doctor, you know. But, but it is, I mean, but th- that's the thing, though. It's like talking to your friends about things seriously and really doing deep introspection like it is therapy. Like, they're not a professional therapist, but it's like, I right. mean, it, it's not literally therapy, but it's like, it, it can serve a lot of the it same purposes. It's therapeutic. It's therapy. Say, That's a better word. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It can be therapeutic. Sometimes right. it can be really bad. I mean, you know what I mean? I, it depends I on will your say, friends I, and, you know. As the person who has resting therapy face, uh, but also for a long time had a need to be needed... You can get into that relationship with a friend and it's codependent and bad and terrible and be right. very careful of that. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Sides. It's it's something but that yeah. can be good and can be less less good. Yeah. yeah. Talk to professionals, but also talk to friends yeah. or talk to you know colleagues. Yeah. So all of this, I think I think it's very important that we have all this discussion first because it's gonna really inform the second part of the discussion, because I actually would have a very different answer to why I think the Red Hood story is so interesting. Because mm. all what you said I think is true. Yeah. But to me, the Red Hood story, what would it really raise, what it also raises is this question of, is Bruce helping these traumatized kids by, by making them his sidekick and turning them into Robin? And, and kind of a chance to unpack and analyze all of that. Um, cause, and that, that, I think, especially has become a very popular thing to do. Um, and I think it's not unrelated to the fact that a lot of the Nightwing stories, particularly Titans, but a lot of other ones, start out with Dick Grayson being like really mad at Batman and mm-hmm. really wanting like some separation from him. And that that often that is kind of the um, – that the Jason Todd story is often told as the Jason sees Nightwing being rebellious against Batman. And so Jason's like, no, 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 no. I have to be utterly loyal. I have to be completely oh, loyal. Right. And that that's kind of like – that's why he falls so far mm-hmm. in some ways. Um so let me kind of just ask you this nice, simple, basic question. Is Batman helping or hurting kids like Tim and Dick and Jason by making them Robins? Simple I, binary, right? Yes, yeah, simple binary. Um, yes, helping and hurting. <laughs> um, it, it's, I mean, he's helping them do what they want to do when they choose to be Robin, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I respect the agency of 
you know, humans from a pretty mm-hmm. young age. You know, like I, I think if a two-year-old wants to walk into traffic, you, sh- you should stop them. <laughs> you know, right. like I'm not like, oh, well, that's their choice, you know. And you could say, yeah, well, if a 10-year-old wants to go out and fight crime, like maybe that's like a two-year-old stepping into traffic, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I think there's a point at which it's reasonable to kind of take them into the field with you when that's what they want to do. I probably think that point is a lot younger than most people, or I certainly don't think it's based on some arbitrary number of cycles around the sun. You know, it's like, oh, well, at 18, yeah, you can get a gun and then go off to war and get killed and kill people. I I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you agree with the statement that for some people, 13 is old enough and for some people 17 isn't old enough because like Absolutely. we actually do mature in very different ways yeah Absolutely and so I think most of these kids have gone through certain trauma I I think um kids like Jason actually I think Jason kind of saw more of the world than Dick did at mm-hmm. a certain age right I mean Dick literally saw a lot of the world cuz he's like in the circus so they're traveling and stuff I think right. but like you know I mean he was like a street kid right like yeah. I mean Batman met him when he stole the wheels off the Batmobile. And Batman's like, that's that's impressive. (laughs) You know, kid did this. Um, And so, like, yeah, I I think it's a subjective judgment. I don't think it's the sort of thing where, you know, Uh um, a particular age is the age, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, well, 13-year-olds are definitely fine and you're wrong that it's 18. It's like, no, there's it's not a magical time when somebody becomes old enough to do really any given thing in my opinion but right. um you know in in this case it's like it, it's i mean here's the thing it's like this is a world of comic book physics you know mm-hmm. and comic book martial arts and if you're good enough you can always dodge the bullet you know right and like that's not that's not the way our world works you know mm-hmm. but like so I think within the con- comic of the context of the comics, I think it makes a fair amount of sense. Um, I definitely think that the, you know, the kind of teenage Robins generally seem like a better idea than like 10, 11 year old Robins, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of long term helping or hurting, like, I don't know, to me, it just it almost like that's not the question. The question is like. Was it their choice or was it something that was like, hey, kid, you want to dress up like me and go out in the street and, and you know, do mm-hmm. cool stuff? Oh, yeah, we are going to get shot at and, you know, we're going to be hitting people and stuff. It's like, I don't think that's good. But mm-hmm. like, you know, when when they're like, no, I want to be like Batman. It's like, I don't know. That's what they want, you know, and, and yeah. I just I respect that their own choice, basically. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of in a similar place, though I'm a little more critical of Batman, but I, I think in the but I think that I understand it. And, and again to me and, and and I have a therapy background, both as someone who's been a patient for most of my life, but also someone who has a lot of training in it and was a did a lot of I was not a, a licensed therapist as a pastor, but I had therapeutic training because there's a pastoral counseling aspect and all that. The harm reduction model is to mm. me a very important way of thinking about these things, and that it's like sometimes you like you judge 
we can have a sort of statement of like, okay, well, this person is doing a bad thing, but actually look at like, okay, what what are they doing and what are the alternatives? And is this reducing harm? You know, and that's so, you know, a lot of times like behavior that we can see in a vacuum is problematic because like, well, they don't have the alternative or they don't think they have the alternative. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, knowing everything I know now about childhood trauma and violence and all the rest of it, I would be hard pressed to say that I think Batman's solution to his childhood trauma is something I could like put a healthy stamp on. But I think it's a very, I think it is, a, is very good harm reduction. I think he, mm. he has found what is the best way he can conceive of with his mentality um, in the world he was created in, which is not a world in which people, especially not, you know, independent men went to therapy yeah. to deal with. And I think what he's kind of doing, and, and to me, I think the stories I most resonate with is where he sees as you said, they already want to be, but what they want to do, they want to become the phantasm. They want to become the Punisher right. instead of becoming Batman. And so he's kind of saying, look, I'm walking this path. I want to give you the chance to walk it too. He's kind of giving them the third way in a way. Yeah, like, I think so. Yeah. And, and I think then the question can be, by giving them the third way... Is he cutting off their chance to find the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth way? Right, right, right. But also, you know, but that's, again, what the solution is. Yeah. And here also, I think there's a level in which connecting it to Dexter makes a lot of sense. Because, and forgive me for spoilers for a show that's now, like, what, 10, 15 years old. Um, time is a flat circle. One of the things I think it's most, like, they have to keep coming up with new ideas to make new seasons work. And so one of the things that happens is he frequently finds people who have the same compulsions that he does. And sometimes he finds them, and these are some of the, the worst villains he deals with, but who never had the Harry, that the, the right. father figure, yeah. to teach him how to, if not control, direct the yeah, compulsions channel, in a healthier way. Right. Channel, yeah. yeah. But sometimes he finds someone who's the other direction, who... Once they actually do kill the specific person that wronged them mm -hmm. or someone who's a good stand-in for the specific person that wronged them, they're like, I'm good. Right. I'm okay now. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's kind of heartbreaking for Dexter, but it makes a lot of sense of him being able to be like, oh, I, like, I guess it's good. You can just move on. Yeah. And I think that's an element of the – I think in some ways that's a part of the Nightwing story that I think is really interesting. And that is in some of the Nightwing stuff at least that I've seen – he never speaks about it in those terms, but he, well, he kind of does. He kind of brings up this idea of, like, Bruce did what worked for him. I don't need it the same way. I wasn't affected in the same way. Yeah. And I thought I was as a kid, and I still do want to do some good, but it's not the same for me. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the ways in which, you know, Nightwing and Batman are are different, you know? Yeah. And, and kind of the way the different Robins and eventual Batman, like, become... They sort of, you know, show how there are different paths along, you know, branching from, mm -hmm. you know, the same initial path, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, you have Damien, who's like more Jason than Jason, you know, yeah. you have Dick, who's like, just, it's like, yeah, I, you know, I kind of did all that and I'm, I'm good now. And I mean, there's yeah. obviously different versions of Barbara, but like the Batman Beyond Barbara was like, yeah, I don't. I don't need to wear the suit anymore. Like right. she's still in, you know, she, she becomes police commissioner. <laughs> so right. she decides to go down her dad's route instead of, you know, Batman's route. But like, um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see like how, 
Um, I mean, there's, I, I think you might be thinking specifically, especially of the fifth season of Dexter, right? Where, um, yeah. it's the Julia Stiles season. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, season four, I like almost quit the show and then like I watched five and I was like, that was, that was my favorite non first two seasons of the show, yeah. you know? Cause I really did kind of like the idea of someone who like was really angry for very mm-hmm. legitimate reasons, you know, wanted vengeance wanted to stop these people doing what they were doing and then did that and was like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I mean, th- there was another Batman. I think it might be Gotham, my gaslight. I'm not sure, but there's another Gotham story we, we covered. No, it was long, long Halloween. Oh yeah. That's basically exactly that. Right. It's someone yes. who at the end, yeah, Batman yeah. realizes like spoilers for long Halloween. Yeah. But yeah, it's exactly that. The person's like, I did the killing. And Batman's yeah. like, yeah, I wish you hadn't done that, but right. you're done, and I believe you. So. Right, exactly. Like, you were a serial killer for a reason, not... It wasn't your identity. It was a thing you were right. doing, and you've completed that. All right, I guess yeah. that's that, you know? Which, kind of tangent land back to the Long Halloween story, but it's relevant. It, it, it's funny, because I'm, I'm surprised the idea didn't occur to me in the moment, but I, I, I do think there's a flaw with that. Mm-hmm. Because I wonder then what happens the next time someone does something truly wrong to her or someone she loves, you know, and like, does she remember that, wait, this method I had of finding justice before worked? And I mean, you hope that nothing horribly tragic happens to her again. Yeah, yeah. But then there's also the question of like, if something horribly tragic happens to another person in her family, does she go down the same route? And then does it start increasing until it's like, oh, well, you 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 cut off my second cousin in traffic. So now, you know, I'm going to go into full on murder mode again. I mean, you look at how people drive and like, I can't blame her, but <laughs> <laughs> you drive in California in fairness. In and Minnesota, Vegas. everyone's very nice. In Vegas. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen how you drive. Um it- <laughs> I don't drive very nice. Everybody <laughs> else does. <laughs> cheap shot. Cheap shot. Um, no, I, um, I I think at the end of that, Batman's like, you know, kind of I'll be watching you or something, right? Yeah, like, that's, I, that's fair. And if you look over all the stories over the year, whew, watching a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, but but yeah, um, I, 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 I do think it it comes down to, you know, the like... Well, do you really think that this person's going to do this again? Or was this like an outlier event? Right. Right. I mean, it seems unlikely that something like all of that was going to happen again to that person. You know, I mean, that true. was. But at the same time, sure. Like, I, I yeah, I think you keep an eye on someone once, you know, once they, they start down that dark path. You're like, all right, well, I'm at least I got, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we got eyes on you. You're being surveilled. Just. You know, every now and then you drop some kind of creepy, like, I'm watching you thing just to remind them. And then you don't mm-hmm. actually have to watch them as much, you know. You're just yeah, like, exactly. I saw this, you know. Anyway. Back back to the Jason Todd of it all. I, I do find also that I like stories in which Bruce is willing to admit that he's wrong at times mm-hmm. and grow sometimes. And yeah. Titans, I think Titans... Again, it's become very fashionable to dunk on Batman and Bruce Wayne all the time. And I think there's some very legit critique. And I think it's also just become kind of a meme that goes further than I would like in many cases. And I think Titans dumps on Batman a lot more than sometimes it's justified. But again, it's told mostly through uh, Dick Grayson as the the primary character. So it's his point of view. 
But one of the things that posits, which I, 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 I don't think is in this version of the Red Hood, but I like as a possible interpretation, is that when Batman takes on Jason Todd, he does ha- he has lost Dick Grayson. At this point, Dick Grayson and him are fairly estranged. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he thinks he did all this to be really good to Dick and to help Dick. And Dick is like, F you, you, you really screwed me up. And... But then Dick keeps doing the same stuff, though, right? Well, right. And that, and, that's, but, and part of the thing that Dick is dealing with is, like, did you help me? Sh- did you make it so that this compulsion will never go away? Or did you give me a healthy way to deal with this compulsion? Right, right, right. Or, or did, did you, you stop me it? from just sure. getting rid of this compulsion? Sure, sure. Uh, and so in there, there's some level of, of Bruce admitting that he was trying to kind of, like, fix what he had done wrong with Dick with Jason. Right, with Jason, yeah, yeah. And that's part of what happens there. And that's, you know, interesting thing. I haven't Putting watched Titans. That, I watched Yeah, you haven't watched that. So you can comment. Like, okay, this is a show. But I think there's a... It, it's... It makes some interesting points about the characters that I love. Mm-hmm. And and the story that it tells to make those points is very bad. Okay. Um, I kind of think of it as like the the, the, the prequels. Of the like Batman. Oh, sure, movie, sure. You know? Yeah, like you understand some things about Anakin because of them, but uh, you're not enamored with the quality of the storytelling. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask this though. This is the kind of last big thing I want to wrestle with because they do wrestle with it in this, especially somewhat in Under the Red Hood, but especially in the Death in the Family where he's talking to, to Bruce, he admits this more. It feels like it feels like one of the central tensions and almost like you can call it hypocrisy or you can just call it like a tension that Bruce is wrestling with is he wants to give these kids a chance to go out in the field because he thinks he's gonna, they're going to do it anyway. But he also wants to protect them and stop them from going out in the field more than they should. And, and he, you see elements of this a lot. And he flat out says it to Superman where he says, like, I wish Nightwing would stop coming to help me. I keep telling him to stop coming to help me. But he keeps doing it, and honestly, he keeps saving me, but I can't ever tell him that. Right, because it would encourage and, him, basically. Right. And to me, I think I, I don't think this is rejection or implied. I think this is very clearly supposed to be meant by the writers. Like, we have seen that one of the things Jason wanted was more approval and more validation from Batman. Mm-hmm. And, and that he really wrestled with when Batman told him not to go out into things. Like, to me, part of what I got about that is that his desire to protect these kids is part of what's causing them sometimes to do dumber and dumber things to try and prove something to him or to get their valid- his validation or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I didn't really have a, a strong feeling um, mm-hmm. that way or not that way. But I, I definitely, th- you know, I mean, you said, you know, Nightwing has an annoying habit of showing up exactly when I need him to. But, like, right. I don't want him to because of what happened to Jason. And, I, you know, I don't want him to be getting into, you know, danger and whatever. But, uh, like, he, he ditches Nightwing repeatedly in Under the Red yeah. Hood. Right? Like, Nightwing helps with the thing. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to go chase this thing. Uh, no, I'm going to leave you here. Bye-bye. You know? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, you got injured. Okay, go home. You know? Whereas I'm sure Batman would be like, eh, just uh, tape it up and I'll get back out there. Um, yeah. With the same injury. And so... Yeah, the the idea that they are actually taking bigger risks and trying to be more, you know, like, look what I can do, kind of. Yeah, like, 
it is funny. It's how like not encouraging someone can actually encourage yeah. them more in a way, right? As opposed to being like, yeah, you did good. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, although then again, like giving the positive feedback, it's like if somebody wants your approval, they just want your approval. And like, yeah, I'm, I don't really know exactly the best way to deal with that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's real, it, it's kind of going to what I said before of like, I think that for many humans, perhaps not, you know, those up <laughs> high on the mountain like yourself, but for many humans outside validation, I think is a healthy thing to desire. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be mixed with a fundamentally good level of self-validation and, and self-love and, and that when you are seeking out outside validation to replace any sense of self-worth, right. you know, then it, then it becomes really problematic. And I think, you know, that's a question you can really look at with, with Nightwing, with Jason, with all these other kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think external validation as like kind of like a line check, you know, mm-hmm. as, yeah. as just sort of like. Hey, I did this. What you know? Do you think you think right. this is good? Yeah, that's good. Okay, cool. Thanks. You know, um, or like you know, oh well, mm, did you think about this actually? And I was like, oh no, I didn't. You know, it's like you know, and, and it's funny because Batman will say he doesn't get it. He literally pays someone to give it to him. I mean, Alfred is that all the time, <laughs> including also sometimes calling well, him out when he yeah, yeah. Him. Alfred's not always just. <laughs> Alfred almost often ends up a little bit at odds or often often questioning or being like, are you sure you don't want to stay home? Okay, yeah. I'll get the car gassed up, you know, kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I would argue that's not necessarily what he pays Alfred for. And I, I feel like Alfred pays himself out of Bruce Wayne's money. You yeah. know, like I, I, I don't, I don't see Bruce writing checks. You know what no. I mean? Like, and, and I think that some of the most interesting Alfred stories are where Alfred either is unclear or even has a strong idea of like, is he, is he working for Bruce Wayne, yeah. or is he working for Thomas and Martha Wayne? You know? Right. And, yeah, and yeah. that I think is often one of the interesting dynamics there too. Yeah, for sure. One just thing I'll kind of add to that is, and again here maybe I'm dunking on Batman too much, but I, but I think it's something that I, I see acknowledged more and more. And I, I to me, I, I feel like he is leaning in this direction with Clark in in the death of the family one. And Were we going to do a Patreon it. or no? Say again? Were we going to do a Patreon thing? We were. I think that's uh, – okay. this is also relevant. I have a different Patreon than I'm going to cool, suggest. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Sorry. And this is kind of the last point I'll make, and then I want to let you respond, and then also bring up any last things you want to do. Surprise, we had a lot to say on this topic. Um, <laughs> probably me. I think I've talked a lot. I episode, was, which I no, I talked a lot, too. I went on a bunch yeah. of tangents. I was like, I wonder if we'll be able to get enough out of it. Like, somehow, somehow, <laughs> I still had that thought again. Like, oh, well, it's I, kind I of short, and we're doing have enough a bunch this. of things. I weird. thought gross point blank would be the struggle. But oh, anyway, yeah. cutting mm. off that tangent mm. at the root, or... No, I'm not going to get into th- – stop. Okay. Stop, Matthew. Uh, yes. Convulsive tendencies. <laughs> Excellent secant. What I think is the other interesting part to this is the way in which Bruce doesn't want to acknowledge the family. Because I think when, when Bruce says to someone like Nightwing, like, yes, you're coming to save me, but I don't want you to do that – what I think of is the parent who is convinced that their job as a parent is to not let their kids worry. Mm. But in, in thinking that, 
they're pretty deep in denial because the fact is the kids are going to worry and they're going to worry a lot more if the parent doesn't let them help in some way, right. especially once they're they're. And to me, that's that's the the thing that I kind of most wanted Clark to kind of shake him about. But I do think he kind of starts to get there, especially because in some ways I think. I, I kind of think Bruce finds two families, and he's someone. He's kind of like the, the grumpy estranged uncle with all of the, the Robins and Bat kids, and he's kind of like the the estranged cousin who stands at the the side of the cookout, or the the barbecue with Justice League, <laughs> but he has some of that with you know with with Clark and, and and with Diana and all the rest, because I think part of that's that's exactly what's happening with Nightwing is he thinks that he doesn't realize that there's no way Dick can like if. Bruce died, Batman died because, and, and I'm saying I be, say because, but, and Dick thinks that Dick could have saved him. That's going to be psychologically destructive to, to Dick in the way that I think Bruce doesn't understand. And so I kind of really like that, how it highlights that as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we're talking kind of about the, a death of the, a death in the family <laughs> on Max, uh, sort of. It's it's like a recap epilogue kind of thing, you right. know. Um, I really enjoyed getting to hear a lot of Bruce's thoughts and justifications, which a, a lot of which do feel like justifications. You know, he's like, "Yeah, I shouldn't have let them do this. I should have made sure this happened. I should have." You know, there's there's no we. There's no. It's like it, it's all like he's taking responsibility for everything onto himself mm-hmm. and not kind of recognizing that other people like like he he's very much not giving nightwing agency in terms of like do you want to be involved with this and that's right. because of his guilt i think over jason and feeling like he should have not let jason be robin basically you know mm-hmm. I, I mean yeah. i think i think he regrets that or 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 the way he did it like I, I think he's a little unclear on it but he's basically just like no this i have to do everything alone now because you know um really what he should do is just be like i'm just gonna bust superman real quick and let him take care of mm-hmm. some of these things but no um it, it is always interesting. It's like there's the Batman and the Robins and then like then there's the Justice League. And it's like, how do those things actually fit together? You know, it's like yeah. a, like in Young Justice, you'll see, you know, I mean, some of the Robins become important characters. Right. But mm-hmm. in in the Justice League, like they don't have any of the the sidekicks except like Speedy shows up for a minute, you know. Right. And and it's like thinking about how those things actually fit together is a little little interesting. How do the small Gotham issues intersect yeah, I mean, with the like alien invasions and like I, there, there's a scene in which he fights um, not Mysterio who who's he fights in um, Amazo? I mean, the, yeah, he the, fights Amazo yeah. in Under the Red Hood, and I'm like, really? Because yeah, I'm so in a Batman story, I'm used to him fighting. Basically criminals. Right, right. And sometimes it's criminals who have some really cool tech that kind of pushes them into the supervillain variety. Yeah. And sometimes they're a little bit supernatural. But they're rarely yeah. like, you know, like he doesn't fight Zod. He doesn't fight. Right, you know, right, right. Like like those th- that level of villain. So, yeah, watching yeah. him fight Amazo, I was like, yeah, this, this, is, a, this is a tone. Because sh- there's like Gotham is fundamentally different than Metropolis. And I think it is. I think part of why Justice League works so well is because, yeah, he, well, to be clear, the, the TV show. There's the TV nothing show, yeah, the about. animated Justice League series. <laughs> Snyderverse, 
blah. But there's no, um, but yeah, anyway, that's, that's all ground we've covered before. Yeah. Anyway, what are the last things you want to bring up or talk about, about Robin and the Red Hood and, and this whole story? Yeah. Um, I mean, one was just that, um, Raish al Ghul's regret at using the Joker as a distraction kind of reminded me of like we just did the last few episodes of the Clone Wars where Ahsoka uses Maul as a distraction. Oh, yeah. You know, go cause chaos. That's what you're good at, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that felt like an interesting kind of little parallel. I don't have much to say about that. It was just a, a little thing. It, it reminds me actually of another parallel that I noticed, which is that I I feel like Batman's feelings for Clark and Batman's feelings for Rachel Ghoul mm. kind of similar. Yeah. Like he sees them both as in his general line of work mm-hmm. using methods that he somewhat disagrees with. Right. He disagrees with Rachel Ghoul a lot more. For sure. But he says at one point, like, I have a real respect for Rach because he does have a code that he follows. Right. You know, and I think that's for Bruce, I think a really big thing is like if you're following a code, you're not gonna go overboard. And right. I think Raish's code is already that, but he he does he did. There's a point where he's like, yeah, I, I know Raish wouldn't do this. Right. Yeah. He he knows there there a there there a certainty, not a variable. Basically, it's like he knows what he's capable of. He knows what he's yeah. willing to do. You know, he knows what Superman's capable of, unless he gets possessed by um, Dark Side, and then you know, and then you got the Kryptonite for that. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. And um, the the other thing was just. That the whole thing at the end, like, where Jason Jason isn't mad that, like, Bat, he's not mad at, at Batman for letting the Joker capture him and kill him. He doesn't blame him for that. I mean, Batman was even like, don't go to that warehouse on your own. The Joker's too dangerous. You know, like... Mm-hmm. Which it's interesting that the Joker is thought of as being that dangerous because, like, he's like he's just a guy, you know. Yeah. But like, he's a unpre- he's unpredictable, you know. He's the opposite of Rachel Ghoul. Like, I, I mean, I kind of think the Joker's main power is that he's got charisma twenty five. Like, yeah, he yeah. can just recruit henchmen to do anything at a moment's notice. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and so you know, so I think Jason takes responsibility for like. I decided to to come to Europe to help with this to investigate this thing. I teamed up with you after I, you know, made these these discoveries of stuff. You went off to do this one thing and said stay here and watch the wa- warehouse and I was like, "No, I'm going to go into the warehouse. The Joker caught me and killed me and that's on me." You know? Yeah. But why didn't you avenge me? Like why do you why is he still breathing basically? Right. After he did this to me, like, why didn't that make you mad enough to cross that line? You know, like it would it just be too hard. And that's when Batman's like too hard. It would be too easy, yeah. you know, and then then he goes on this whole thing. But like, it, it's just interesting to me that like the whole thing, like Bruce's whole thing is about like feeling like he should have protected Jason. He should have, you know. He he was irresponsible in letting him be in the field and stuff. And Jason's like, no, that's fine. You know? Right. I just want you to kill this guy. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. I mean, kind of going back to what we were saying, it, it's like Jason absolutely sees Batman through the kind of therapeutic lens that I was positing. Mm-hmm. And and Jason sort of has that idea of, yeah, if, if something pushes Batman enough, he will snap and kill someone. Right. 
why wasn't my death? I'm not, I mean, it's, it's, why, it's, right. It's, why it's, wasn't my death that thing, basically? Yeah. That, why wasn't this that one bad day? Right. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it, it sounds like in that regard, it can sound ridiculous, but like that's, you know, how often you hear like, you know, like, well, you know, why wasn't, you know, why wasn't my pain enough of a motivator for you to do this other thing? Right. Uh, which I think there's some validity too. And there's a whole lot of real psychological problems. That yeah, that sounds pretty unhealthy, but you know. But given who Jason has been his entire life, it yeah. makes total sense. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Any other last things? No, just, I mean, I think when you add that with like the killing joke, it's basically kind of like, because this takes place after the killing joke. Right, because yeah, they, they specifically reference Barbara getting yeah. shot. Yeah, um, I think it's just kind of like, yeah, maybe Bruce Wayne's not one bad day away from becoming the Joker. You know, yeah. like that's I, to me that's kind of the conclusion. Not everyone's necessarily one bad day away from becoming whatever. Like, and maybe that whole journey of kind of facing the I want to kill Joe Chill or whoever or whatever. Right. You know, punch criminals until the world's not that way. Like, n- maybe like this Batman has actually worked through that to the point where it's like, no, I'm just not going to kill people. I've made that decision. That's final. And like, you know, I'm just going to do the thing the way I said I was going to do the thing. Which, and I will say, I, I think as someone who's seen a bunch of versions of this story, both as Batman, but also people have told a version of the story in a lot of different superhero genre as well, including the Arrowverse. Right. The Arrow tells almost every Batman story. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, they just appropriate all the Batman stories. <laughs> I think this is one of the absolute best. Mm-hmm. One of my only critiques is that they they put so much of the onus of why Jason becomes the Red Hood on the Lazarus pit. Oh, yeah. Because I... Because I, I think that. this is the killing. I think I think Jason Todd is proof that maybe yeah. Bruce Wayne isn't one bad day, but Jason Todd absolutely was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the way I kind of interpret it, which is 100% headcanon, uh-huh. is that, like, the Lazarus pit gave him a sort of, like, temporary madness that, like, he couldn't then have a conversation with Raish and Talia or whatever, and he just, yeah. like, killed some people and ran away. But then as he's recovering from the immediate effects of the Lazarus pit, like this is who he is, you know, like my headcan is that this, you know, Red Hood is not the Jason Todd that was created by the Lazarus pit. Mm -hmm. It's Jason Todd created by the chain of events and that the Lazarus pit was more this temporary effect. And that's definitely not the text of the story, but also the story (laughs) doesn't like repeatedly tell you about the Lazarus pit like. Yeah. Turning him into whatever. I, so, like, it's it's one of those things where you can kind of be like, yeah, I can just kind of smoothly headcanon down this slope and then, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I agree yeah, with and, you. I yeah, like I, and I, I like the headcanon. I think I have a similar one, but it's more the the Lazarus pit kind of, like, brings out your worst ends. So that, sure. like, yeah, there I like is, that. Like, it basically, the Lazarus pit, like, if there's any little part of Jason that would have fought him becoming the Red Hood. Yeah. It goes, but then he probably would have become the Red Hood anyway, you know. Sure, In yeah. some degree or another. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm done with that. All right, I think it's a good place to wrap up. Um, Paul is the Zen Madman for anybody who wants to find his stuff. He's kind of taking a pause with some creative stuff, but uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there on YouTube and other places. You want to learn about poker, learn about things. Paul's written novels. Like, Paul's written books. You should definitely go check them out. Paul Christopher Hoppy. Myself, I am The Ethical Panda. If you go to theethicalpanda.com, you'll find all my podcasts. you find the other creative stuff I do. 
I'm trying to create on TikTok a lot more, and, and I'm starting to dip my toe back into Twitch streaming. I'm going to try it for a week or two and just kind of see when I do it and when I don't do it. I'm not going to try and start on a schedule yet because I, I think it's good to have a schedule. I think I think not having a schedule is bad. I think setting a schedule and then not sticking to it is worse. So I'm going to start being pretty random, try and give people a couple hours notice sometimes, although I'll probably just start streaming the moment I'm done recording this, which you won't care about because you're going to hear it in two weeks. Um, but yeah, twitch.com backslash or regular slash the ethical panda all the notes are in the show notes and most importantly though all those are good places to give us feedback what do you think of this story is this your favorite version of the story uh do you have other versions you like better what do you think was bruce totally right is bruce totally wrong let us know in the feedback we would love to hear from you uh well in the patreon section we're going to talk more about the idea of sidekicks in general and where robin ranks up against some other sidekicks but until then, for everybody else who's not a part of that, on behalf of myself and Paul, thank you so much. We have spoken. You found a way to win. <laughs> Run!